Hello and welcome to Alpha Omega International. Today we had some technical difficulty during our church service and we realized that many of you who watch uh, via live stream, uh, it was disconnected in the middle of the sermon. So we wanted to at least uh, give this message one more time, have it recorded, put on YouTube so that all of you can watch uh, today's sermon, which comes from our Philippians series. So if you have a Bible with you, Let's turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read verse 19 to 26. And when we read this today, as we consider these verses, the title for today's sermon is Ready for Tomorrow. All right, and with that, let's look at chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Amen. The sermon again is titled, Ready for Tomorrow. Now, it's most likely when you read the book of Acts, which is a wonderful history of the early church, and also when you read through the letters of Paul in the New Testament, it's very likely that Paul's imprisonment in Rome was in two parts, two different imprisonments. The reason is because while Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians, he is currently in Rome, imprisoned in a sort of like house arrest, chained to a guard, and he's waiting for the day that he's going to appear before Caesar and make his case. Well, at the end of the book of Acts, Luke, the historian, tells us in the very last chapter that Paul stayed for a whole two years in Rome, in this imprisonment. And so it appears that, okay, Paul was in prison for two years, and then he was released, and then he just went on with his life. However, when you read another letter of Paul, like what he wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy, you find that Paul is in prison, and this time he knows he's not getting out. He knows that his death is coming soon. He would soon be executed. And as he speaks to Timothy, you sort of see... Paul is realizing he's come to the end of his life. And the prison that he is in at that point is not a rented house like he has now in this imprisonment. This is a dungeon that he's in, in a dark place, in a hidden place where nobody knows exactly where he is. Anybody who would want to help Paul, they don't know how to find him. And so after that second imprisonment, then we look to church history which tells us that eventually Paul was martyred. He was beheaded under the rule of Caesar Nero. 
So because of those things, it does appear Paul had two imprisonments in Rome. What we're reading now, written to the church in Philippi, is the first imprisonment. Paul is not quite certain what's going to happen tomorrow, or the day after, or next week, or next month. He doesn't know of all the details. He, he has an idea. He's confident that he is going to be eventually released from this prison and actually return to Philippi to see his friends. But he doesn't know exactly all the details of what's going to happen from one day to the next. But yet, Paul, as you read about him and what he, he writes in Philippians, you get a sense of a tremendous peace in Paul's heart, a sense of calm, rest, and joy. And how could he have peace inside of his prison, chained to a guard? It reminds me of Peter, Luke, again in the book of Acts. Luke tells us that King Herod arrested James, the brother of John, and executed him with the sword. And he saw that all the people applauded that. They, they appreciated what King Herod was doing. And so he thought, well, let me capture another disciple of Christ. And he captured Peter. He threw Peter into a prison, and his uh, reasoning for doing so was he was going to execute Peter as soon as the Passover feast was finished. And everybody's expectation was that Peter was about to die. Well, Luke says that just as King Herod was about to kill Peter, do you know what Peter was doing in prison? He was sleeping. Imagine that. As far as Peter knows, as far as everyone else knows, he's about to be executed tomorrow. Yet Peter is in his cell sleeping. Why? That's peace. That's rest. That's knowing his life is in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see this also in Paul. Like Peter, Paul considered tomorrow, not knowing all the details of the events to come, and yet he had peace. He was devoted. He was faithful to the Lord. And he knew that ultimately the Lord was in control. And so it's like Paul is saying, whatever happens tomorrow, I'm ready. I'm ready for tomorrow. In today's reading, in our verses, Paul describes three possible scenarios of what might take place tomorrow. And that may not necessarily mean 24 hours from now, tomorrow. It could just simply mean somewhere in the future, in a day to come. But as Paul considers this, his message is, I am ready for tomorrow. Ready for what? Well, in the letter, he describes ready for, number one, ready to testify. Number two, he's ready to die. Number three, he is ready to abide. Whatever the Lord brings to him. He's ready. So let's begin with number one, ready to testify. Again, in verse 19, he says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, because Paul is a prisoner, we would assume that the deliverance he's talking about is being delivered from his prison cell. That's what you would imagine deliverance would mean for a prisoner. And he does believe that that is going to happen. He will be released, and we'll discuss that in point three today. But right now, in this moment, the deliverance he's talking about is something different. 
than being released from prison. And I believe it's found in verse 20. He says in verse 20, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. In nothing I shall be ashamed. Paul knows that soon, maybe tomorrow, he will have to appear before Caesar Nero to give an account for himself and defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. What will that appearance look like? What exactly will Caesar ask him? And if Paul were to freely proclaim the gospel of Christ, to freely proclaim that Jesus is Lord, well, how will Nero respond to that? With these thoughts in mind, Paul realizes the possibility that any man in that situation, the possibility of any man shrinking in fear, sort of backing away in fear of what might happen if the truth is told. It could mean a, a longer imprisonment. It could mean torture. It could even mean execution. This Caesar, Nero, he was known for being a madman, a crazy man. And he violently and brutal, brutally persecuted the Christian community. The deliverance Paul is hopeful for and confident in is his deliverance from fear. Not shying away, not shrinking in fear, but proclaiming with boldness the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul knows tomorrow he must testify, and he will do so boldly, holding nothing back. Now, how can Paul be so confident? Where is the strength and encouragement coming from? He tells the church in Philippi, it's because of your prayer, and it's because of the supply of the Holy Spirit. Paul believed in prayer. Paul believed that God answered prayer. Prayer moved mountains. Paul believed that prayer could change circumstances, that prayer could change you in the midst of circumstances. Paul believed that when a Christian prays, that it is heard by God Almighty. He hears his children. He hears his people crying out. And Paul knew that there is a church in Philippi right now as I'm writing this letter. And that church is praying for me. And those prayers are ascending into heaven, storming the gates of heaven, and flooding the very throne room of God. And he knows that God will hear. And God will come through. And God will supply his Holy Spirit in an abundance of power. And that's exactly what Paul needed. He needed the Spirit's guidance. And he needed the encouragement and the, the fire and the boldness of the Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples that a day would come when they would be arrested, when they would be brought before the authorities and questioned, and they would have to give an account for their Christian faith. And Jesus said to them, don't think beforehand what you're going to say. He said, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Paul knew that. Paul's not trying to rehearse a story, rehearse his lines, or memorize a few scriptures. He's just relying on the Holy Spirit to empower him to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something about prayer and the supply of the Spirit. 
When we pray, whatever you may be praying for today, think of it for a moment. You might be praying for something that you know, humanly speaking, is impossible. And yet your eyes are fixed on that prayer. And you're focusing on the, the answer to that prayer. But for you to go where you are right now, from where you are now to the answered prayer, you know there's probably a lot of details that need to happen in between now and then. There needs to be, you know, people involved, change of hearts, somebody needs to say a certain thing, something needs to be provided. There must be many, many details from where you are now until that point where you can say, my prayer has been answered. But when you pray and believe, God supplies the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will take care of every single detail from where you are now, now until where you need to go. All those details, it's so easy for us to be frustrated by them, confused by them. We get so worried about them and we pray for every little thing that we, we feel like if we forget something that it's all going to fall apart. If we would just focus on the prayer that we're asking, that request, and focus on what that answered prayer would look like. All those details, God will supply the Holy Spirit to care for, to tend to every single one of those details. And so I believe whatever we're praying for today, keep focusing on your prayer request. Don't focus on the details because you might get discouraged by them, knowing that there's such a mess of things that need to happen. Leave those things into God's hands. We pray, and then the Lord supplies His Holy Spirit. And through His power and His workings, all the details will be taken care of. So it allows us to focus on the end result, that answered prayer. And we have faith, and we believe that God will answer prayer. Amen. Paul was not consumed and stressed with all the details of what might occur as he's brought before Caesar. He kept his mind on the final outcome. And he says, I am ready to testify. I am ready to speak. And when I do, it will be the truth and it will be bold. I'm ready to testify. And don't forget, it's the Holy Spirit that emboldens us to speak the word, to speak the gospel, but it's also the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit of God, that opens the hearts and the minds of those who will hear it. He opens their minds to, to understand it, to believe, and to receive. And so we leave all things in the hands of the Spirit who supplied in our life. Amen. With that in mind, Paul knows how serious this occasion is. He's going to appear before Caesar Nero. Nero, the most powerful individual on earth. And Paul knows this may be the only time that Nero will hear the gospel of Jesus. And so Paul is ready from one man to another. He will proclaim it and he will testify when that day comes. So Paul says, I don't know when, I don't know the details, but I am ready to testify. And in the end, Christ will be magnified in me whether I live or I die. That's all Paul was concerned with, that Christ will be glorified. Last week we talked about 
Paul wanted the spotlight, even in his sufferings, that the spotlight would shine on Jesus through his sufferings. And now Paul is saying, whether I am going to live or whether I will be executed, either way, as long as the name of Jesus is magnified, then I accept whatever God brings my way. Paul was ready for number one, he was ready to testify. Number two, he was ready to die. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ. The true life, the abundant life, the joyful life, the satisfying life, the thrilling life is a life that is in Christ. And it's not just the life as a whole, our life as a whole is in Christ, but it's in the daily living that we live in Christ. So that when we make decisions in life, we're concentrating on what glorifies Jesus. What would Jesus think about this? What would Jesus do in this situation or that? It's all Jesus. Jesus is at the center of a life when a life is lived for his glory. And it's kind of like if the sun of our solar system, its gravitational pull keeps all the planets at their distance and they all circle and orbit around the sun. And in the same way, it's the love of Christ that's like gravity to us and it keeps us in and it pulls us close to the heart of Christ. And then our life just circles, it revolves, it orbits around Jesus. That's what a life of Christ is all about. To live is Christ. It's all about him. And therefore, he says, to die is gain. What? Gain? What could Paul possibly gain in death? He would gain everlasting life. He would gain meeting Jesus Christ face to face and then dwelling with him forever and ever. That's a great gain indeed. So Paul's attitude was, if they kill me, if their choice is to execute me, really, they're helping me. They're doing me a favor. They're giving me a gift, whether they know it or not. Because executing me means I will then be with Jesus forever and ever. And as Paul would say in Hebrews, absent from the body, present with the Lord. He says to live is Christ and to die is gain. You can't say the second phrase without the first. If there is no living with Christ or in Christ, then there is no gain in death. In fact, if you were to say to live is without Christ, then your second phrase will be, and to die is eternal loss. Jesus told the story of a rich man, already rich, wealthy, and then he had a produce and had a great abundance of produce. And so he thought, what should I do? He tore down his storehouses, built bigger ones. He got more and he built even more to hold it in. He wanted more. He wanted better. He wanted bigger. And all he was consumed with was more crops, more abundance, and keeping it all for himself. And then he said, now I can eat, drink, be merry. And then God came and said, you fool, tonight you will die. And in death, 
What do you have now? Because your whole life you were concerned with more, better, and bigger. Not once did this man ever consider Christ. And because of that, he died without Christ. And then he, the only thing he gained was everlasting loss. Jesus himself would say, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And yet, he loses his own soul. To live without Christ is to die with eternal loss. Paul was ready to die because he lived his life for Christ. And because of that, he knew that when he dies, it will be the greatest gain he could ever ask for. Paul was ready to die. Are you? Are you ready to die? You don't know what's going to happen tonight, tomorrow, or next week. We all die. Every man must face death. The question is, will you be ready when the time comes? Paul was ready. He was ready because he lived his life for Jesus and in Jesus. And he could be confident. Just as the Bible says, we can know. We can be confident. We can know that we have eternal life. How can we know that? If we believe in Jesus Christ, if we know the Son of God, we can be sure. Are you ready to die? Paul says, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Paul knew death could come five years from now, 10 years, 20 years from now. But when it came time to really think about this, where would he rather be, in heaven or on earth? And there was something about heaven. You know, because Paul at some point in his life, in the book of Acts, he was stoned and probably died from stoning. And God allowed him to get a glimpse of heaven. And ever since Paul saw heaven, he wanted so much to go back, to be a part of it. He said, I don't know if I was in the body or out of the body. The things I saw, it was so real. It was tangible. I could see. I could hear. I may have been in the body. But what I saw was so unbelievable, so wonderful and special and beautiful. I can't even describe to you what it was like. Maybe I wasn't in the body. But ever since that moment, Paul had a desire to go back, to depart from this world and set sail to the next world. He had a desire to go to heaven, not just for all the beauties of heaven. He wanted to go there because of who was there. He says to be with Christ, which is far better. It is Jesus that makes heaven, heaven. Amen. And he wanted to be with the Lord. And as he's thinking about all that, wanting to go back and, and see heaven again, but see his Savior, oh, how far better that would be than to be in these chains. How far better would heaven be than to be in this dungeon, to be trapped in the body of sin, to be suffering, to be persecuted, to be sad, and to know what it's like to, to, to cry and to grieve. Oh, how I would love to be with the Lord Jesus now. He can close his eyes and picture it. But then he opens his eyes again and he says, Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. So we have number three. Paul was ready to abide, 
to remain, to remain with the church, and to continue to minister in this world. He says in verse 25 and 26, And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. If tomorrow I am released from this prison, then I will remain with you a little while longer. I am ready to abide with you, to stay with you, and to continue to encourage you. And we will all continue to grow in faith together. He says to continue in order to, to progress and have joy in faith. To progress and to have joy in faith. Faith should be progress. We should be growing in our faith, growing in our relationship with Jesus. Paul would encourage Timothy to progress in faith. How? Paul reminded Timothy that he needs to practice Christian conduct, learn how to love with a Christian love, to speak words that, have, that are life, words that are encouraging, to read the Bible and to study it, and also to remember the calling of God upon his life. And as long as Timothy concentrates on these things and grows, Paul says that will be progressing in faith. Our faith needs to progress. We need to grow and we need to mature. Not only progressing, but we also need to have joy in our faith. True faith will always lead to a life of joy. Growing in faith and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, it does indeed produce joy. There is the overall joy of life. But then there are those moments of joy that God so graciously gives to us as gifts. And in this circumstance here, as Paul is writing, in this case, the Lord would give a wonderful, thoughtful gift to the church in Philippi. Paul says, I know, I am confident that I will come to you again. And you will rejoice. And all that rejoicing will belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. It'll all be owed to him. All the thanksgiving. So Paul knows a moment of joy is coming. Yes, we have an overall joy of life. But then there are the moments of joy that God gives as gifts. And for Paul, it would be reuniting with the church in Philippi. Embracing each other again. And giving the Lord thanks. So Paul is saying... I don't know everything about tomorrow. I don't know all the details of what might take place. But what I do know is that I am ready. I'm ready for tomorrow, come what may. I am ready to testify. I'm ready to die. I am ready to abide. Why? Because my life is in Christ and I trust in Him. He's on the throne. He's in control. And with one hand, he works in my life. And with the other hand, he, he holds me dear. Every day, I'm hand to hand with the Lord Jesus. And so in conclusion, if we can sort of make this a, a personal application today, we also don't know the events that will transpire tomorrow. None of us knows what tomorrow holds for any of us. Some of us don't know if we're going to have a job tomorrow. 
Some don't know if they're going to have enough money to put food on the table for their children. There are some who uh, don't know what politician is going to win an election this coming week. Still, there are others who aren't sure what the doctor's report is going to say tomorrow. And maybe there are others who have experienced a broken relationship with someone and they don't know if tomorrow that relationship will be healed or continue to be broken. None of us know that there will even be a tomorrow for us because the Lord may call today. We don't know what is going to happen tomorrow. We can't see those things, but everything is in the Lord's hands. And I believe that if we put our trust in Him, keep our hope in Him and hang on to Christ, if we can do that, then we will be able to say, just like David did in one of his Psalms, David said, I know that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So while we are here on earth, we know what's in the past, we know what's happening today, but we can't see tomorrow. But God does, and we are in His hands. There's a great song I remember singing when I was a child, and it makes perfect sense in this setting. The words are, many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. Brothers and sisters, are you ready for tomorrow? Are you able to say with all your heart, come what may, my life is in the hands of the Lord. I pray that today's message has given you encouragement, has given you boldness, and I pray that uh, as we are praying for all of you who are watching and attending our church services, as we are praying for you, that God will supply His Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will take care of every detail of all the needs that you have in life. May God bless you, keep you, May He be gracious to you, and may He give you peace, especially as you think upon His Word and what we have, the life that we have in Christ. May that give you such peace in your heart and mind. God bless you, and I'll see you again.